Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Safe, okay? Thank you. She's not going anywhere. Son, this is a bad idea. What concern is it of yours? Do you understand your wife's medical condition right now? Translate for me. No. Your wife is very sick. If she doesn't get off this island in three weeks, she will die. She's was Kyle. If you let her go, your wife is in danger, Jen. Danger. Where the sun go, I go. Son, please. Jin, your wife had an affair. What? Son was with another man. She thought the baby was his. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talk in season four episode seven g on i'm josh wiggler uh i'm sorry if i sound a little uh distracted i'm a little out of breath to be honest i, I just raced to make it to this podcast on time i had to pick up this panda bear uh and now i'm here um, okay, well, it was, it was great to, to get here. It was great to show up with the, with the bear. Uh, it's a little weird that we're talking across two different time periods, Mike Bloom. I mean, it always feels like we are, right? We're oceans apart in that regard. In this case, Josh, timelines apart. Oh my goodness. We have so much to get into with Gion. But first, I just want to go back to that intro clip. Screw what NBC says, Josh. To me, this is the slap. What the slap? Do you is not remember the slap? No, not yeah, remember really. the slap. No, <laughs> the slap was a show on NBC that starred uh, Siler himself, Zachary Quinto. It was a, like, yeah, it was a, it was based on an Australian television the series slap. where it was like a bunch. It was sort of like like network oh, television, Big Little right. Lies. Oh right! <laughs> oh right! The slap. <gasps> Peter oh Sarsgaard made herself. Tandy Newton was in it. I forgot about the slap. <laughs> I forgot about the slap. Uma Thurman was in the slap. What? Where did 
up. What, Brian Cox? You were in the slap? What were you doing in the slap? Oh my oh, god! Oh yeah, this, uh, lots of lots of Westworld Blake people in the slap. Blake Danner was in the slap. <laughs> what were you all doing in the slap? Oh god! <gasps> oh man, I was going to compliment you on timing the slap uh, with the start of the the intro music, Mike. Um, but now I'm really just kind of <laughs> distracted by the television show that I'd forgotten about the slap. Yeah, we've all been slapped across the face with their IMDb pages of excess. Look, essentially, it's, it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Uh, well, either way, we're talking about kids today, whether it be from NBC careful. miniseries of your <laughs> easy, or easy on the, the titular child. Um, this is an episode that I've been really interested to get to, Mike. I, I think I was saying last time that this is an episode of Lost that, like, I don't know super well. Like, Gion's kind of like a, if not a classic episode of Lost, something an episode of Lost that people talk about a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's one that's like definitely uh, not forgotten in the ether. It's the one that reveals that Sun gets off the island. Jin does not. The implication is that Jin is dead. Sun will live years of her life believing that Jin is dead. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, he may as well be. Uh, and it's it's a big reveal, and it's revealed in the form of this sort of gotcha flashback hybrid flash forward uh, gimmick that I I use the word gimmick because it's the word that I've kind of always assigned to it. And I I still think that even in the most charitable uh, way of looking at it, you got to think of it as a gimmick to some degree, or at least I do, but that doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing. Like I think that there's like an ugly connotation with that. I would say that there's an argument, Mike, that, uh, there's a, there's like some gimmicky qualities to through the looking glass, you know. I was going to say literally yeah. the exact same thing. Considering that in this episode we get Sun basically pulling a Jack, right, purposely deceiving us by being saying "Where's my husband?" When we can clearly chuck it up to in both of these cases, them just being so far into their own feels that they are just completely obscuring their own timelines. Because I agree, I know that of course the great Jim Fells, whose work we loud every week here on Down the Hatch, had written in and basically said he never felt good about the way that the dual flashback flash forward structure was constructed over the course of this episode and jim i mean you know offense but exactly to your point josh i would kind of have to say like well through the looking glass kind of did this beforehand or even something like walkabout where it's not exactly saying oh we're going to show you one thing and it turns out to be another thing but purposely obscuring details within backstory so that a big reveal can happen later on you know there's There's, yeah it's 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 in the dna of the show i think maybe it's not done to a structural level as much as it is in this episode but i also really love it thematically as well because this is going to be a huge harbinger of Jin and sun storylines not even together lack thereof the the entire second half of lost here basically josh the two of them are going to be separated yeah Jin Jin is going to be much like he is in this episode, caught in a flashback. He's going to be stuck in the past, quite literally. And Sun is going to be in the present, in the future, building this family. And so I think it really is uh, setting us up for, unfortunately, the heartbreak we're going to be experiencing from the Quans and that they are going to be separated for the foreseeable future. Yeah, they definitely, it's going to be a hard time. I was thinking about that while I was watching it, where I was like, I forgot that, like, we're really close to these two characters not having a scene together for a very long time. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I would also look at if this was a proper season of uh, a network show, like in seasons one or two, or even if this was like The Walking Dead on AMC. To me, Geon is a mid-season finale type of show, right? Especially in terms of its reveals. I feel like doing the dual reveals of Michael is Kevin Johnson on top of the whole Jin is dead question mark thing. Those feel like, okay, let's take a break for the holiday season and then come back and embrace it. So from that perspective, this does, I know we sort of talk about how the shape of things to come is really indicative of a tonal and structural shift in Lost season four. But maybe we roll it back a couple episodes and say G-Eon definitely signals to me an end of this era of season four with Kevin Johnson maybe serving as a transitional period before we get into the shape of things to come and everything to come after that. Yeah, I think that one of the things for me that like this is not a perfect episode of Lost. I think that this is a strong episode of Lost. Definitely. Uh, my opinion on it has has uh, has lifted in revisiting it for sure. There's still some things about it that I, I don't love. And there's like a couple of storylines that I'm sort of just cold on. Mm-hmm. It, 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 like the Kevin Johnson stuff really leaves me pretty chilled. Uh, a lot of the freighter stuff leaves me pretty chilled. Um, but the Jin and Sun stuff is really excellent. I think that the way that they end up kind of resolving Sun's affair uh, and finally Jin's, and Jin's discovery of it is just like a very like I don't know like a surprisingly mature way of handling that information on a show like this that I really do appreciate quite a bit and I just really love the performances from uh, Daniel Day Kim and especially Yunjin Kim in this episode so we'll talk about it all we'll get into all of that uh, quick programming note so Mike Bloom and I are actually you know we've been saying we've been doing this like lost binge recording we ended up having to push our record date for G Eon. We are push, Josh, push. We We're currently recording this podcast on March 3rd, 2021, and it is in your podcast feeds on uh, March 12th, one day after my birthday. If you didn't wish me a happy birthday, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I'll, <laughs> I'll never, never forget. forgive you. I'll never forgive you. This, and I'll this never is truly forget. the slap if you did not wish yeah. Josh a happy birthday. Yeah, we're recording this on March 3rd. The podcast is out on March 12th. Yesterday was my birthday, March 11th. And if you forgot, I am done with you. It's over. We're finished forever. <laughs> and the great, the great timey wiminess of this all is that you won't technically know at the time of recording this who is going to snub you. No. So if you want to throw a name out there, go ahead and be predictive. Yeah, I really just honestly, Eric Divestine. <laughs> I just can't. I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive you for what you've done here. Uh, like Stefan, I expected the slight, but Eric, I really thought we were cooler than that. Um, so yeah, the lost in the weeds on that one. Uh, so we're recording this. Nine days out from dropping the podcast. This is going to be the recording schedule for the next little while, I think, is what we've landed on. I've needed like a couple of Mm. weeks on the job, a few days on the job to sort of get my bearings of what the rhythm is going to be. In the past, we've been recording down the hatch during the days. That is no longer tenable, folks. So we're going to have to be recording these at night. um, And we want to allow ourselves a little bit of wait for it wiggle room in case of scheduling hiccups. We just want to have that distance between recording time and post time. So it's going to be an unlucky nine day window would have been better if it was eight but nine Mm. is going to be uh the timing that works out the best so this really impacts you mostly as far as meet kevin johnson 
you didn't get your feedback in for Meet Kevin Johnson, you missed the freighter. Uh, that ship has sailed. That freighter has sh- has sailed. We are <laughs> we, we, we have recorded that. That podcast is done. Um, but now you know for the rest of it. Still time for you to get in shape of things to come in the rest of season four. And when we get through season four, Mike and I may reevaluate the recording schedule best ways forward. Um, for now, this is going to be how we're going to get through season four at the very least. Uh, and then we'll figure it out moving forward. So just wanted to give you all a heads up in case you wanted to figure out what's the best way to get your feedback in. It's like a nine day window down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. One other thing before we sail forward, Mike, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch. And those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Well, sure you do. And I bet it could be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Boy, you better hope that uh, Mr. Pig set out some life insurance on gin. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder... I, I mean, I wonder I, why I think because so. uh, son's going to like buy him out of his job at some point. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, if I well, she does get a bunch of money from the settlement. So maybe she's not exactly that hard up for cash. But yeah, I would imagine that Pake probably has his goons on life insurance, right? Mm. Because they're that valuable to him. No, I feel like he just has more goons. I feel like <laughs> just, he, just like the Hydra. Yeah, you kill one goon and three care. more take his place. Yeah, he doesn't care. He seems pretty ruthless. Uh, all right, let's get into this. Look at this. Gion. It aired uh, March 13th, 2008. Oh. We're, like, we're just like trailing everything. You know, we're just so close. I think that that's going to that's going to end because there was a little bit of a of a yattis, as it were, between uh, between Kevin uh, Johnson and Shape of Things to Come. And I think also a bit of a one between There's No Place Like Home Part One and then Parts Two and Three as well. I think, oh, there, was a right? two we- I think there was a two week break in between. What? I want to say. Really? Uh, whatever uh, we can we can google that on the fly this is a kitsis and horowitz joint now mike i feel like it's become a running gag uh and you're right about that uh i feel like it's become a running gag mike for us to uh say like well i think this actually is the best kitsis and horowitz <laughs> episode um is this the best kitsis and horowitz episode i i would also reframe that by saying Mike, you are the connoisseur. You are mm-hmm. you are number one gin and sun stand here, certainly on this podcast. Not that I don't love them. It's just that yours is very sacred and special. Um, talk me through this episode, because this is obviously a very special episode for those characters. Is it special for you? It's very special for me in that I was really happy about this episode. I totally co-sign everything you said that the heart and the quality of this episode lie with gin and sun. I think it is as I know that we had definitely lauded some praise onto DOC last season, but in my mind, this is the best Quan episode that we have gotten maybe since season one. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think that's because, you know, seasons two and three, we did get the meet cute in Ooh and found, but really they were focusing more on this whole affair storyline, which I think really meandered both on Island and off Island. But I think this is an incredibly strong episode, not only from the flashback slash forward slash flash forward perspective, but actually on island i feel like it's been a while since we've seen jin and sun actually interact with each other even in sun's flashback episode in season three in the glass ballerina you have saeed there as sort of a third wheel and you have that whole thing where sun's doing things that jin doesn't know about because again of the language barrier at this point in season four 
Jin is a bit more learned, right? He's learned English from Sun, from Sawyer, and now there is a we baby. We haven't seen the- Jin in a few, like, he's been pretty missing for the early stages of yeah, season four. Mike, do you think that he's just been, like, sitting on the beach, waiting for the boat, just reading uh, as much as he possibly can to learn English as quickly as possible? Because he's, like, next level in this episode. Yeah, I mean, this is really the progression into season five, right? When he's like in Dharmaville and has just basically mastered the English language over the course of three years slash many decades. This is really the transition point where he maybe he found the Rosetta Stone that got blown up from the hatch and decided to learn English. Or maybe he's reading all the Dr. Spock books to both learn English and learn how to become a dad as well. But I think that this really concentrates on the Quans on island relationship. And while the affair still gets involved in there. I feel like, to your point, this is the most we've seen Jin deal with Sun in quite some time. And while he's been a lot of fun on the various camping trips that he's been on, it's made me realize how much I've missed that quality of the Jin-Sun relationship, where we've seen Sun certainly do a lot of interesting things in the past two seasons. But I feel like, to be quite honest, since they came back together in season two, we really haven't had a lot of Jin Sun stuff with them hashing things out until this episode. Yeah. Oh, they had the glass ballerina. That was fun, right? Right, but, but, but as I said before, like, Saeed's involved in that, right? Yeah. The others are involved in that. This really is specifically the around the two of them, them really hashing out demons from the past in both regards. And I think the episode is that much stronger for it, that they, they take the moment to stop down quite literally and say, okay, let's get this out of the way. Let's have these characters sort of parse out what's going on before they attempt to leave the island coupled with the tragedy that obviously one of them is not going to make it off the island. Yeah. Do you remember how you felt when you found that out the first time? Um, I was, I don't think gutted could even describe it. It's yeah. like somebody... And they took, really draw it out too. You're like, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like somebody took a covered it in shove out ah. and my butt oh, like that's what? that's what it felt like to uh, me that visceral emotion uh, <laughs> uh that's too evocative for me uh, uh, you wanted me to describe it i tried to use as flowery language as i could yeah, in true bloom fashion yeah you know what i think it might be funnier to censor that like to do that arrested <laughs> development style yeah. and, and make everyone boom. wonder what it is that you just said so i'm just quickly marking down the time code so i remember to do that uh, just include and- the they include the last <laughs> word in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you got it. All right, so let's get into the episode. This is, it, here's the here's my biggest thing is like I do think like structurally the episode is kind of weird. I I really I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. The freighter stuff. It's not my favorite, Mike, and I don't know that I can fully put a finger on why, other than. And it's not that it's like the first few seasons are innocent of this either. Uh, There are certainly characters along the way that this would apply to. There's something of like a very TV actor quality to Mm. some of like the freighter uh, stuff to me, Um, whether it's Dr. Ray or especially the captain. Oh, Um, Captain Galt. Who I know, yeah, like is like 
uh, probably the likeliest actor from Lost to be listening to the podcast, and I, so I'm I'm very sorry. Hi, uh, Grant. I don't I don't mean anything you know personal. It's just like it's kind of like a, like the character just does not feel like it's a Lost character. It feels like sort of like a Melrose Place character to me. Like it feels like <laughs> someone from like Riverdale or someone like CW ish. You know what I mean? Straight like from it, the straight from the Peach Pit. It's Captain Galt himself. And I think like the pacing on the freighter stuff is one of the great victims of the writer strike probably where they thought mm-hmm. that they had more time that they could pace this out differently so there's a degree to which like i feel like i should probably start going easier on it but every time mike every time i've tried to give it more of a shot like it just still just doesn't click with me it just doesn't quite land and we begin this episode in the freighter uh we start with frank of all people yeah, brown bagging it brown bagging it uh kimi basically being like hurry up i'm gonna need you to drop me off i need you to uber me to the island so i can murder people yeah so i can go shoot up uh danielle rousseau and her family essentially yeah, so i can go murder some of your you know your future friends uh and here's regina who's yeah, reading what? a book upside down uh, a precursor to uh to a to a death yeah, well, she's reading The Survivors of the Chancellor by Jules Verne, which is interesting because the book is about a ship that is stranded at sea where it only only as a, f- a fraction of people survive at the end because many die and commit suicide by jumping off the side of the boat. So maybe yeah. despite reading the book upside down, some sort of osmosis gave Regina an idea later on. I do want to go back to the point that you made in that. I yeah I I agree it's not that I I dislike the freighter stuff from this stretch of episodes it just feels odd I think where it succeeds the most is a tonal perspective to really hammer home for us that something is not right here and this is really embellished in this episode where you have people jumping off the boat. There's a Radzinski like stain on the wall of the Chateau de Desmond and Said that they're going to be staying for a little while. They're essentially prisoners on the boats. People are coming and going without our heroes really knowing about it. It really gives this almost like haunted house horror movie Eli Roth vibe to it. But I do wonder if in hindsight, when we know all of this, does that play as well? I think in the moment, watching it for the first time, it does play better because you're just like, what the hell is going on on that freighter? You know, we know they're there for Benjamin Linus and they're sent by Charles Widmore. But what exactly is happening there? Are these characters actually safe? It seemed like from the constant that, you know, there was a beautiful stuff that happened there, but they didn't necessarily feel like they were welcomed in with open arms. So I think if the intention of the freighter stuff this episode is to create an unsettling atmosphere, I think it succeeded. I think it's at the expense of creating, I think, plot moments and character moments when you know the full scheme of the arc that still really resonate to this day. Yeah, I wish I I wish I agreed. It's just like there's there's like a little bit of like a cheese factor for me that just doesn't quite click. Uh, And I, I don't I can't I cannot distill it down any more intelligently than that. Um, it's not available to me. It's a feeling. Sometimes, like you just like feel the thing, 
Yeah, I was, gonna say, I was about to put my hand on the sensor button if you wanted to describe how you felt about it. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, I, I just, I, it's, a, it's a sense thing, and I can't quite articulate it. I've never been able to articulate it well, um, but it's there. And I thought, I, I hoped it would be gone. It's not gone. Um, so, uh, can, can I ask, what mm-hmm. do you think? Because this takes, we haven't, we didn't go to the freighter and the other woman. In fact, I find it very telling that the flashbacks do not mention the other woman whatsoever. We're going to get reference to it, uh, you know, with a bit of talk about Juliet in this episode. But maybe the show itself is like, other woman, maybe we just won't mention that, that that actually happened on the island. But this obviously picks up after the events of the constant. So are we to assume that after this, you know, incredible scene with Desmond saying to uh, Saeed, you know, my memories are back together. It was enough that then they busted in, caught them and put them back in sickbay. Yeah, I think so. I think they're lucky that they just like got sent to the room with the roaches and that's it. You know, uh, it certainly could have been worse, it seems like. Uh, yeah, though, I, I do wonder to uh, Minkowski's point, is it did Saeed benefit from the fact that Desmond was on board? Right. Mm, that Desmond and Charles Wimmer certainly didn't see eye to eye. But I think he is sort of like the friend of a friend that, you know, when the manager, someone who knows the manager comes into the restaurant, you have to treat them a certain way. Otherwise, you're certainly going to hear it from the boss. Yeah. Uh, as in Bruce Springsteen, who we hear from typically in the penultimate episodes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for Cabin Fever. All right, we'll keep an ear out for that. Uh, so the captain, we're talking about Cabin Fever this episode, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's kind of some Cabin Fever going on here with Desmond and Saeed. So the the captain is uh, is upset with Desmond and Saeed for breaking out of sick bay, and so their punishment is a can of lima beans. <laughs> And I'm imagining that H. John Benjamin's voice comes out of that can of lima beans. Yeah. And that's and that's Ben's spy. <laughs> yeah, censor me for what I'm about to say next. No, exactly. I'm not going to say it. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to go to the captain and fondle my sweaters. Yeah, I'm going to fondle my sweaters. What did you say? Uh, so <laughs> Said wants to talk to the captain. Um, and Frank's like, no, you definitely don't. This is another piece of it. Is there's yeah. this, there is this, there's this storyline where the captain is not to be trusted, that the captain is this kind of like dangerous guy who has some sort of like big scheme that's afoot. Uh, And yet, like the captain, like seems to be like mostly pretty on the level in the grand scheme. No, uh, Captain Galt can chill. Captain Galt actually seems like an okay dude, and he's going to prove to be an okay dude. Like he's going to turn on Kimi later Captain on. Captain Galt he's like looks-, looks like he like runs a steakhouse when he's not on the freighter, and like he like often just like bartends to like help out around the restaurant. And he's like a super social dude, and he just hangs out. Like maybe a little basic, but like a nice guy, nice enough guy. And he's like, I'm a little scared of my boss. If I'm being honest with you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, 300 and so bodies. You, this is but freaky. you have, you know, Frank saying you don't want to run into him. You have Ray being like, oh, well, you know, you don't want to uh, you don't want to rile him up. Michael's going to pen in those goofy ass seventh grade block yeah, letters. Like, do not trust the captain. Like, what are you talking about, Michael? Like, what is that? Like, you know, so there's just like a lot of questions that I've got around, like the writing towards this. Like, where was this going to go? What was this going to be? Do you think Captain Galt just has like a flatulence problem. And that's why he says, don't talk to the captain. Cause he's real stinky uh, and no, and that ruins your day. He's been he, eating he, the lima beans. All he, all he's been eating is the lima beans specifically. You even think when I'm we giving had you cook. these lima beans for sustenance. Now I'm trying to keep him away from Captain Gall. 
Exactly. He's got a problem. We keep trying to confront him about it, but we can't get within six feet of the man. Yeah. That's why he's so elusive. He's holed up in that cabin, hot boxing it up. Yeah. Uh, With his bean farts. Yeah. Captain Galt. I don't know. He's just uh, probably Captain Galt is like a lower tier recurring lost character for me. Well, I mean, uh, he's going to show up in, I think, maybe two episodes after he's, this. He's got so. three episodes total, yeah. Uh, and I just, I just, I don't really get it. I wonder if there was, like, a, a plot where there there was going to be a plot where it's, like, the actual captain is Kimi, and yeah, it's just, like, know. a captain I, I, I st- in disguise. Like, what were they, I don't know what they know. were aiming for here. I, I still really like the, the, rewrite, the rewrite that we came up with a couple episodes ago of Michael being the captain. I just feel like that makes so much more sense and then really does sort of hammer home this idea of nobody can really trust kevin johnson because he's coming across super shady because it's michael trying to obscure his own identity yeah yeah pirate captain michael would have been pretty cool um but i think that the freighter stuff is probably the biggest writer strike casualty for moi all right let's go to the island and let's get into the stuff that makes this episode great because this stuff is Mm -hmm. great uh everything with gin and son is uh absolutely excellent it begins right here as we go to the beach and uh Jin and son uh are going to be having a little bit of a conversation about uh the future Let's talk about baby names. Mm. Good. We're getting better. Mm. But no, Jen. When we I know that scene was, of course, mostly in Korean sans. Let's talk about baby names. But, you know, we are closing in on very few scenes left in this timeline of Yunjin Kim and Daniel Day Kim doing scenes together, like specifically isolated. And I think we, we just need to really treasure every moment we get for this chemistry, which just has been electric from the get go. And so and I really love this scene to start out as well. It's just a, it's a really cute scene between Jin and Sun Jin showing that he knows English. He's really trying to put forward his best dad step. He's suggesting the name of Ji Yeon, which actually means flower of wisdom, which knowing Jin Jin's whole origin story with the flower that he's brought up time and time again, just really continues that trend. And then Sun is being cautious, right? She's really not putting the cart before the horse because as of DOC, despite her putting on a stiff upper lip and saying, I don't care if I could, t- could die, the baby's gins, that's all that matters to me. Maybe now she's realizing that that whole death thing 
could actually mean something. And so she's saying, let's not, you know, let's not decide on baby names before we get off the island. But Josh, the handshake is is the the part of this scene that I like the most. I don't know what it is, but I think it just is a symbol in one gesture of the inimitable chemistry these two actors have together. Yeah, um, so a, a lot there. Um, I I've been thinking about this a little bit more, and you know, because this is going to be the last that we're seeing of Jin and Son together in the present for many, many moons pretty soon here, you know, and this is like the last big showcase for that. Then Mike, we're kind of like in like, sort of like, this is sort of like the, to use uh, a word that got a lot of buzz on a recent WandaVision podcast uh, of ours on post show recaps. Uh, it's kind of like the penultimate beat in Jin and Son's story. Yeah. The denouement. Um, the you know that, claw. like, you know what they where they get to, they get to like a really mature place of like mutual acceptance and self acceptance and love of one another, and like really like looking themselves in the eyes of like what the choices they've made and who they want to be moving forward. That they get there, and then they get separated, and they have to like hold tight to that feeling that they had, and then they reunite. And it reinforces that feeling that they had, which is Mm -hmm. why, like, you know, the end of this episode, like, you'll never lose me. And obviously, like, fate separates them. And so, like, when they do get to the moment towards the end of their lives that they have become inseparable again, it's like they've been frozen in amber uh, for all of this time. You know, they've been frozen in time in a big way. Yeah. And so now they've sort of been uh, unfossilized as a well to create its own Jurassic Park-esque odd scenario theme park in the sideways universe so again we'll get some more quan stuff going on in season six but it's to that point an odd relic to stare at much like we were talking before about you know contemplating the end game of charlie pace when we were in season three we kind of have to say that this is sort of the delayed end game of the quans that they're going to be flash frozen as a dynamic at the end of season four here and not unfrozen until to your point for a couple of episodes in season six. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot and it is really sweet to get them talking about their daughter and, uh, and, and Jin wanting a daughter so badly, I think is, is lovely. And it's just like, there's a lot of like, there's a lot here about the ways in which they have changed and grown as a couple on the, this Island where they're both like concerned about getting out of here they both very badly want to leave and like go back to not go back to their lives, but like go forward in their lives. I think that's yep. the thing is like, they both seem very ready to, to do that. Like they both. Well, seem, yeah. yeah. And let's, re- let's remember that when they were both getting on eight, one five, they both had the intention to do that just in very different ways. Like son was going to leave Jin, but at the last minute she gets swayed from it and gets on the plane. But Jin was going to drop off that watch and then squirrel away to America with Sun. So it is really interesting that while Jin does go into this monologue at the end about how, you know, I was a different man off the island. It's understandable why you would cheat on that man. I'm a different person now. He was already sort of having those ideas about moving on from being that person. The island just exacerbated those feelings. Right. Yeah. Uh, So... They're ready to go. It's a shame that everything that's about to happen is what's about to happen. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. So we flash to the future, and here's Sun. She is, she's watching a Korean dub of Expose, if you catch it in the background. Yes, which is very, very great detail. Uh, Horowitz and Kitsis can't get away from Expose. <laughs> Razzle-dazzle, uh, even in the future. Uh, 
so she's pregnant. Something is wrong. She needs to go to the hospital. Uh, and this is the revelation that Sun is one of the Oceanic Six. And I was very happy at the time because, like we talked about at the end of season three, when you find out that people are going to escape the island, you think, okay, Sun has to be one of them. Saeed had one of the biggest reasons to leave the island, but Sun probably had the most tangible one in the form of she had a baby. When to Juliet's point, there was a good chance she would have died on the island had she given birth there because she it was conceived there. So she had to get off the island ASAP. So I was so happy, probably literally fist pumped when I saw, you know, when Sun falls over and they do the wide shot to reveal her prego belly. Yes, Sun is one of the Oceanic Six, and we'll talk about this in the others, but I believe Dark UFO, who was a prolific spoiler in the Lost community that we mentioned before, had given out the false rumor that the Oceanic Six had not only included Sun, but Jin as well. Yes. And so that's going to also, I think, influence the way that you view this scene and the next scene, which goes right from Sun to Jin, but Jin is in a very different time in a very different place. Yeah, there was no reason to think that um, this was not a mutual flash forward, but yeah, it's well, not. Because I think that now in retrospect, like, oh, Aaron was obviously one of the Oceanic Six, but nobody knew. No one knew. Right? Nobody yeah. said, like, oh, it's because there was no announcement. There wasn't a thing where they were parading Aaron around. Oh, look at Aaron Littleton or Aaron, uh, I guess Aaron Austin. It would be one of the Oceanic Six. Look at him go. So everyone assumed, like, okay, maybe he doesn't count. Maybe it's like a two and a half men scenario where he's almost not exactly an entire person. And so it could be possible that both Jin and Sun get off the island together. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's clever. It's, it's clever. It definitely is. And like, they're, they're, they're subverting what you've come to expect at this point. There's just no reason to think that Jin is not when we see him next and he's running around looking for something, uh, you know, he's at, he's in this, in the shop and there's all the stuffed animals. Um, and if you stop down and you examine certain things, I know that there are tells like the year of the dragon, uh, uh, well, no, because I think the year of the dragon is, I believe that's like 2012, I want to say. And I guess 2000 and 2000 was the last year of the dragon. So that's not exactly an indicator for me. It's the phone, just like what happened with Jack, the exact opposite, right? Where Jack had the Motorola razor. Jin's got a big ass brick attached to his ear. That's going to get knocked out of his hand later on. So that right. really is the biggest indicator. Always well, look to the, the dragon set, you know, situates this in 2000. So this is, pre 815 by a few years so you know these are the kinds of things that like if you stop down like the clues are here that this is not uh post uh 815 this is not the future for Jin. that Jin is set in the past right but right now Jin has walked into i don't know josh you know from a from a from a new york perspective it almost just looks like one of these rando shops that you find festooned in basically every manhattan neighborhood that has a bunch of odds and ends but he decides to go into this very specific store to find a big ass stuffed panda he says he has to get to the hospital of course we jump to the conclusion that that's for son and he's gonna lay down a cool fifty thousand won for panda number one yeah uh yeah <laughs> the two pandas uh should we give an lvp or an mvp to the panda um i mean the lvp to the panda that was stolen because he didn't put up much of a fight right mm-hmm. yeah i think so Pan- pandas can be vicious why not claw that taxi stealer's eyes out if yeah. they're cornered so Jin is is desperate he's gonna get the panda uh we don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet but everybody loves a panda good advice yeah, or at least uh, people might not love polar bears, but everyone loves a panda bear. No everyone panda bears have panda. attacked anyone on the island yet. Everyone loves a panda. All right, so at the beach, uh, Sun and Jin see that Kate and Jack are back. Uh, they're like, hey, what happened? 
what's uh what's up with these these weirdos over here because we were helping you look for charlotte and dan and yeah and kate's like ah, oh, well you don't you know it wasn't a great episode but here's basically everything that happened here's in, what in happened the, yeah and the other woman namely tldr juliet lied to us again and this is unfortunately i feel like a bit of an, an unfair turning on juliet in this episode especially after everything she did for son in doc i mean we'll get into the ultimate action that she does in this episode that might not be the best either but i do think it's a little contrived for the sake of this plot that now all of a sudden despite all the lengths that juliet went to for son in season three now son is firmly on team i can't trust juliet anymore in season four correct yeah uh that is definitely the way of it at the moment and it's it's gonna lead to some drama in this episode that i i think i would be more annoyed about if it wasn't um i think it resolved well, it's mostly immediately resolved, and also it leads to a really wonderful moment, I think, from uh, Elizabeth Mitchell that almost made me cry when I watched it earlier. Uh, so I, I, I'm mostly willing to forgive anything that's going to like make me cry and make me feel feelings. Um, <laughs> Hear that, people? That's how you get on his good side. Yeah. Well, let's, let's be cool, everyone. Let's be cool. Remember, this is, it was this my is birthday after your birthday. So hopefully, yeah. a lot of people moved you to tears. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is certainly my hope. Um, okay. So over at the freighter. Uh, Desmond wakes up, Saeed borrows a line from Arnold the Warforged Juggernaut and says, good morning. Uh, Saeed is eating beans. Uh, but do you think he, he was up all night eating beans? Yes, yes. <laughs> so I hope oh, they kitchen issues. I've just been eating beans all night. Yeah, now he's uh, going to be smelling like Captain Gold sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, someone pushes a love note into their door. I, I legitimately wrote in my notes, quote, Spied. Is that anything? No, it isn't. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I put that out there. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, sort of like the little cutesy, like dragging this out stuff. Do you like me? Check yes or no. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I, we gotta make jokes about it. No one wants to hear me just like be like, I hate this stuff. No, uh, I mean, listen, save that for, for next episode, Josh. Oh, That's when gosh. it really comes to the forefront. No, no, I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be cool. It's fine to not like a thing. It's totally fine to mm-hmm. not like a thing, especially when it's a thing like within a thing that you love. I don't think it could be denied that I love Lost deeply, unabashedly. I say warts and all, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but I kind of love the dislike, too. And as long as we can talk about it and have a fun time talking about it, that I think we're fine. Uh, so, yeah, he's just like sending love notes at this point. I like to think that Michael is maybe like, I'm really scared to talk to Saeed. I think that uh, I, of, all, of all the people from 815. This is the Desmond's, worst. <laughs> yeah, Desmond's a complete blank slate, right? He's never met Desmond before. But Saeed uh, is the worst draw. Yeah, by uh, far. Mike, Michael was, drawing Saeed, was the one Saeed who, is the worst. Because <laughs> Saeed was the one that was onto him. Maybe, maybe the only other one would be Hurley, who would just like want to strangle Michael after everything that happened. But yeah, Saeed was the one that was onto Michael in the first place, always being the drum of like, I don't trust Michael. Michael might have killed Anna Lucia and Libby and michael's able to say like well you might suspect me but so long sucker i'm leaving this island now he's back yeah that's not good yeah it's not it's not great um so that's happening meanwhile at the beach son's gonna introduce herself to daniel and ask if you're here to rescue us and daniel says well Honestly, I don't know if it, let me replay this scene from episode two. If I'm that being, says it's not our, it's not our, it's not our primary. If objective. I'm just uh, being really honest, it's not like it's our call. 
I did like the awkward moment where Sun's just like staring at Faraday. He's like, can I help you with something? Yeah. Uh, so awkward. Daniel is awkward. Meanwhile, in the pantry, Jin asks Jack for the cereal, which uh, brings this full circle with the whole tooth. Got Ooh, any milk. Very true. Yeah. And, and Jack's now like, I mean, the breakfast nook has been a source of a lot of interesting interactions, yeah, right? Between Jack, yes. Jack and Kate, between, uh, the between Jin yeah. and Jack. Yeah. Exactly. They're in their breakfast nook eating their uh, honey and nuts or whatever the Wayne's World quote is. This, this is where it. people c- converge on occasionally to make small talk. Gotta love the pantry. Uh, so here they are in the pantry. Uh, and Jack's like, whoa, your English is so good. And she's like, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, remember when Sun just wrote down a bunch of nautical yeah, terms for me on a loose out. leaf sheet of paper? Look at me now. I love it's like, yeah, Sawyer's been teaching me. Sun's doing a better job. Jack's like, yeah, I bet. <laughs> That's a good moment. I really like that. But uh, Sun immediately crashes things by saying like, hey, Jin, finish this bowl of cereal and also pack enough cereal for two days. We're going to the barracks. Yeah, we're going to the barracks. So they just want to protect themselves if they don't think that uh, rescue is coming and if they think that these people are lying to them them um so sun is then going to sneak off into juliet's tent which is going to precipitate uh much of the drama for the rest of the episode let's listen in what are you doing i needed another bottle of those vitamins you gave me the prenatals you could have just asked you're right i should have what happened to the last ones I gave you? Sorry? The last bottle I gave you. There should be 20 left. Are you planning a trip? Please, just give me the vitamins. Where are you going, son? We're going to Locke's camp. What? Why? I don't trust these people. Whether you trust them or not, you can't go there. Locke doesn't want to leave the island, and I told you, son, pregnant women, they don't survive here. Yes, you did tell me that. You don't believe me. Look, I know that I have been less than truthful about certain things since coming here, but I promise you, son, I promise you, I'm not lying about this. Everything you've confided in me, I should at least have your trust. Clara's baby's fine. I feel fine. All I have are your stories that I'm going to get sick. I'm going to do what's best for me and for my baby. Because no, I don't trust you. Yeah, regression. Yeah, not great. Uh, Juliet has, uh, she's lost some favor with Sun. The sun is setting with Juliet. (laughs) Exactly. But it'll come out tomorrow uh, at some point, or at least later on in the day. Yeah, this is it's it's interesting because again we'll we'll talk about the action that Juliet does in the past that uh, in the previous episode I said you know it, it might be one of the worst things that she does I think we can certainly quibble about it I think looking upon it more in the context of this episode I can understand why she does it absolutely if her goal is specifically I think looking at Juliet this episode through the lens of 
she is the doctor and son is her patient and her objective is to keep son get son off the island by any cost so he does she does not get lose another patient and get blood on her hands so she can finally have a success story in the interminable number of cases that she's had on this island I could see why she would justify doing these things. And that's even seen here, right? Where like she's approaching her with this warmth, this kindness, because they had this moment together. They saw GE on on the ultrasound in the stab. Juliet thinks that they have this bond now. Uh, I also like we talked about Juliet's hair getting straighter over the course of the flashbacks and the other woman true to the hair symbolizing everything. I like the fact that Juliet's sort of letting her Miami hair out. Her hair is becoming much more curly in season four here. I think it's similar to how she is. Uh, letting go of the shackles of the others despite her insistence that ben will always have her she's at least trying to to feel her oats when it comes to her hairstyle yes uh yeah i I was i was really into oats for a minute recently i've kind of stopped feeling my oats Uh, i was into it for i was into it back when i was a server because oats at the island pantry Mm, I think, yeah, you think like they have like a, the Quaker takeoff yeah. on the, the Dharma version. I don't know what that would be like the Jehovah's yeah. Witness box. Uh, yeah. And so they just have I mean, yeah, I think oats probably keep, but I don't know who's having oatmeal on the island. You know, I yeah. guess the good news is that it gives you a lot of endurance so you don't have to, you know, eat constantly throughout the day. But like, I don't know who's turning to a bowl of oatmeal without significant significantly seasoning it. It's good protein. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, Flash forward. Son is in the hospital. And just in case it wasn't clear, the nurses mention that uh, son is Oceanic 6. Uh, There's the threat of like she's going to lose her ring. They don't want to remove her ring or she doesn't want to remove yeah, which, which which makes sense in hindsight because you know this is probably a few months after Sun leaves the island, right? Mm-hmm. You, you still think that she's not in the mania yet, where she's shouting up for Jin, thinking he's still alive. But I think at this moment, she probably doesn't want to lose the only tangible memory of Jin that is left, the yeah. physicalized representation of Jin. She wants him close to her in this moment. Yeah, and I get it. I do. Like, I think that like it makes a lot of sense to me that she's like um you know she's she's been through a lot she watched him explode she you know got got rescued from the island like getting home was not a nothing deal um all of that tracks to me and i i think like it's it's the kind of thing where if we've like 
excused this in a lot of like the flash forward material in the past, then I think I'm, I'm mostly okay with it here. I think like my, my reconciliation between like why through the looking glass maybe gets away with a little bit more of this without getting some of these, uh, getting like dinged up with some of the same critiques that Gion gets is because I think like Gion just has like stuff in this episode that either like is relatively unnecessary and needless if not like outright kind of bad uh i am again looking at a lot of that freighter stuff um but for me like i i don't really have a huge issue with like she's calling out for Jin. jack called out for his dad right exactly yeah that that happens i'm sure we have all had if we've all unfortunately experienced tough loss in our lives there might be a time where i don't know you're super feverish or you're extremely sleep deprivated and you might call out to that person or you know go to text that person only to realize they're no longer in your lives it's it's a, it's a lapse of judgment and a lapse of emotion especially in such a heightened perspective of being in the birthing room which i can speak about firsthand when emotions are at a boiling point and then some i think it that's makes the sense. right time to make the oatmeal by the way the boiling point yeah exactly and but hopefully not in the birthing room i feel like that's a little too much but josh here comes in, not son's typical doctor, but someone to save the day. Dr. Love You Bay. Yeah, Dr. Love You Bay. Uh, he's here to help out. Uh, and so he's going to he's going to take good care of her. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, we'll we'll totally call Jin for yeah, sure. So, so we know that son's obviously famous from the Oceanic Six. Is this just Dr. Love You Bay doing a non Jack yes. actually good yes. bedside manner of saying, yes, we'll call your husband. It's yes, OK. I think so. I think so. Uh, because her husband isn't dead, but he is stuck in the past at this point. He's in the 1970s, actually, in the present. But <laughs> in the flashback, he's in 2000. Uh, and he puts the panda in the taxi. He gets a phone call. Someone runs into him. He drops the phone. The phone gets run over. And then somebody steals his taxi. Someone hops into the taxi and sits down next to this gigantic flipping panda and drives off who is <laughs> this guy i don't care who's next to me drive drive i mean Josh, who is, you this, and I, who is you, this taxi thief you and i have have lived in the city like we've have probably each experienced this a handful of times these are like the worst unless you have a unless you're in an action movie or you have a true emergency this is such a jerky thing to do yeah uh yeah awful awful and, and, yeah, this man was not on the way to, uh, to I guess, to his own wife's birth, but certainly to an important event, and takes the panda at that. At least throw the panda out the taxi when you realize that it's in there. Don't take the panda as well. Yeah, like, there's no way that you're sitting down in there and not knowing immediately that you're sitting next to a panda. At the very least, you're sitting down there, you know that you're sitting next to something. I think a really fun element of this, though, and again, another callback in retrospect to the fact that this is a flashback is Jin yelling at the taxi stealer. You bastard. I will kill you if I find you. I will hunt you down and rip your head off. It's not not a joke. He means it. (laughs) Well, well, you know, Jin didn't kill anybody, but he's certainly speaking to that. But this calls right back. Josh did has a temper tantrum on the golf course, right? Like I have killed men for less. You think, why are you laughing at me ball that this is Jin doing the exact same thing except Jin has a temper tantrum after his taxi is stolen. Yeah. He's not thrilled about it. He's not thrilled about it at all. Uh, so one of the things that I actually, uh, enjoyed about this episode much more than I expected is this flashback sequence uh specifically this portion of it um because like the music underneath it's like very like 
uh, Lostian, like very mm-hmm. island adventure uh, I believe that this is actually from one of my least favorite episodes. I think that this is in whatever the case may be. I'm, I think I'm locating that correctly. I think this is like when Kate runs off with the case after like so, uh, Sawyer's dropped it. I think, I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe off, but like it's, it's got sort of this classic vibe to it that almost feels like it's a relic from season one. So this almost does like kind of like put you back in a more classic time here with Jin's story. Uh, so just like sort of a, a cool way that all of this is connecting. But the fact that like sort of like this total, superfluous thing is happening with this very serious lost score underneath. Uh, it does crack me up. I really do yeah, enjoy I, this piece of the episode. I really, I really like the comedy in the gin stuff, but that's another reason why I really like this episode is because I do feel like the intense drama of Gion is in distress. Sun has to suddenly go into labor paired with Jin's magical misadventures of getting to the hospital, I think is a really fun pairing. It's similar to Exodus, another episode I love where you have that incredible Hurley sequence, right? Which is just full of so many laughs and so many obstacles in the person getting in the way to get to what they want to. I like the fact that we sort of go back and forth here because that's also another indicator about how we should have realized that this takes place in two separate timelines because the tone is so distinctly different between Sun and Jin here. Yeah, very, very different. So he's like, give me the panda, the one that you got behind you. Just give me that one. Very much shades of like jingle all the way, right? (laughs) Oh, we have this thing on layaway. Like, I don't care. Give it to me now. I I love the idea of Jin searching for Turbo Man. Jingle all the way. (laughs) Jingle all the way. Wow. Wowie wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, uh, that's it. That's, that's it. the one. That's the tweet. You got it. You got it. Ship it out. Yeah, does he fight a reindeer on this like uh, crazy adventure? Yeah. If anything, now I'm I'm starting to like GE on a little bit less uh, because there's like so much missed opportunity on the table uh, in terms of just how ridiculous Jin's quest to get the panda could have been. Maybe he has to fight a panda to get the panda back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's great Uh, he's like give me the panda and the guy's like hey take this dragon instead because it's the year of the dragon and if you know anything about the chinese zodiacs this is the year 2000 this is a flashback right but jin says i I don't care about that and he puts down another exorbitant amount of money to essentially pay off the shopkeeper to shirk his duty and just take the thing that's in layaway on reserve and give it to jin right now correct um all right so he goes don't lose this one Adios, uh, Jin is off with the panda. Um, all right, so we get to the scene that we listened to at the top of this episode, uh, where Jin and Sun, they're going to leave. They're going to go to Locke's camp. Kate's uh, giving them directions, going to give them a head start. Um, I do like uh, I do like the Kate hugging son reminds me of like those brief glimpses of oh yeah remember when they were friends in season one in the beginning of season two when they were on island BFFs Kate convinces yes. son to poison Jin she's always ride or die you know she's almost always ride or die with son yeah, and, and she's and she's also she like you said she says well Jack's gonna be real ticked off when he finds out that he's losing people from his camp but you know what I'm gonna give you a head start because I like yeah, you yeah I like you uh so son's, uh, son's like, listen, we really do have to go. Like, if these people aren't, like, going to get us out of here, like, I don't know. But, like, I need to be safe. But there yeah. is this issue that if she doesn't leave the island in a pretty, you know, short period of time, it's not going to go over well. Right. So that's the thing is that she doesn't know exactly the exact details. Juliet will go into the whole agenda week by week later on. But essentially what Sun is saying right now is I'd rather be alive and take a risk then possibly be 
dead. Essentially, I think I think Sun is sort of jumping to the conclusions here that despite the fact that Miles said that they were looking for Ben, these people are not here to rescue us. There is a good chance that they are just going to kill us all. Uh, that is sort of what Kimi's intentions actually are going to be. So maybe right. someone's a bit on the money. So even if they might be our way out, I don't know if I trust them enough to rely on them and have them possibly kill me and my unborn child. Correct. Uh, so Juliet shows up. She's like, you got to come back. And Sun's like, like no and julia's like well okay so i guess i'll tell your husband that you've been uh you had an affair and he'll be so mad that uh you won't go right and that's exactly what happens it's it's odd it's a little soapy and maybe that's because the whole jaylee affair thing as i talked about before does seem a little soapy to me of the big revelation of but actually son had an affair again let's break down what Juliet does here because spoiler alert, I'm still going to give her an LVP point here because she does admit to, to son and Jin having an affair. But I do think that again, if Juliet's intention here is keep son on the Island by any cost, this was your one success story and it is now going out the window and another person will die because of what you did because they can't trust you. She has to throw any cards that she has to out on the table. And so I think she decides as just a last ditch effort, this is incredibly prying information that might seek to split your marriage apart, but I can't risk having someone die again. It is a successful tactic, right? Because she knows that if Jin stays behind, there's a chance that Sun will not go as well. And so if the goal is make Jin stay, the way to make Jin stay, I suppose, is to plant the scene in his head that Sun has been unfaithful. And so, again, I, I don't think it was a good thing that she did. But if it's to succeed in her goal of having Sun leave the island, then it was a tactic that she felt she had to use. Yeah, it is a little soapy. Uh, it, it is definitely a little soapy. It's just, it, you know, I think that this was one of those things that it's like this stuff and the freighter stuff are the things that I uh, were like total empty categories for me when it came to Gion. Like, I just forget this stuff. And I think that there's a reason why Uh, they're rather forgettable storylines. If not like in this one, like just a little, I don't know. This is a little rough around the edges for me. Uh, Like I get why she's doing it. The things that I really like though, are, you know, some of like the fallout of it. Um, Like I I wish like, I wish that we'd like gotten this information out in a better way. Cause I think that a lot of the ways in which they deal with the fallout, uh, like, really rather mature um so so son like walks after Jin, who's obviously very upset he's getting ready to go on a fishing trip he needs like blow off some steam yeah and daniel day kim looks so miserable visibly hurt yeah and, like brutally shaken yeah yeah because remember this is a guy who obviously his marriage was in rough shape but Jin like unconditionally love son to the yeah, ends I think of what's, the earth. What's happening right now is this is like, you know, it's not him being mad as the episode is going to point out. It's like him being like, God, I was that awful. Huh? Like I was so awful that I pushed son away and I lost her. Like that's, uh, you know, it's I, like, it's one of those things where it's like on one hand, I'm not surprised on the other hand, I'm devastated, but like, it's not like I'm, it's, I'm not mad at anyone other than myself. Like that seems to be what's up with Jin right now. It's him looking in the mirror. Yeah. It's him realizing him finally reckoning that, yes, he had this beautiful scene with son on the uh, before the raft launch, right. Of, you know, I'm being punished for this place. He's already felt like he's serving penance right now for the previous things that he did. 
this is yet another reminder of despite how far he's come on the island, it's a callback to, yeah, but remember that time that you were kind of a shitty husband and you had to work as this hired goon for your shrewd father-in-law doing some really unsavory activities? As good intentions as you may have, it's sort of like in a Sawyer-like way, much like with the brig, a callback to who Jin was off the island. So it's even less about anger towards Sun it's more so anger towards himself because it really is a wake up call and a stark reminder of you are the person who the love of your life, someone who who you did so much stuff for even up to this point to support. She slept with somebody else in part because she felt you were so cold and distant to her due to the life that you had led. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tough, you know, moment of realization, I think for Jin. And it's a really great moment where Bernard comes in. Yes. Uh, it's like, nice fishing time. Let's go. Oh, cause he like sees like, he's walked into something. He's like, uh, yeah. all right, sorry about that. And she's like, no, 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 you're good. Come on. When, and, but Jin has like tears in his eyes when he's telling yeah. Bernard that he can come along. So, I mean, Bernard very much feels like the third wheel here, but they're very much going to find a dynamic here. I, oh, I'm, I'm really excited to get into this scene, Josh. This yeah. is really, this was really great to revisit. Let's, let's go let's fishing. For, let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's have a little bit of like a, a, a married man date here. Not yes. in that regard. Bernard wants to make that clear between Jin and Bernard. You realize we're the only two married guys on the island. Married. Married. Yeah. Well, no, not to each other. No. You got it. It's not easy, is it? Oh, I mean, it's just wonderful. But let's face it, every decision that you make takes twice as long. Because you always got to talk them into it. Rose has cancer. She's sick. Dying. Well, at least she was dying. She says she's better now. She says it's this place. The island. But when the camp split up, I was sure that she'd want to go with Locke. Why would she want to leave the island and risk getting sick again? Then why do you stay with Jack? Because it was the right thing to do. Locke. He's a murderer. See, it's all about karma, Jim. You know karma? You make bad choices, bad things happen to you. But you make good choices, and then good... Hey, 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 you got one. Yeah, here, pull it in. Wow, look at that. Now, you see? Now that's karma. We must be the good guys. From King Daddy Kwan to King Dentist Bernard, Josh. Mm-hmm. I really love the line read of... Uh... Locke's a murderer. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely where Bernard and Rose have landed in the balance uh, with uh, the story of John Locke. I, do, you, is, do you think Bernard's looking for a friend here? I, I find it so interesting 
how assumingly this is probably the first person that Bernard has told about Rose's cancer diagnosis, yeah. which which feels like a pretty big deal. I wonder if for some reason, maybe Bernard sees that Jin is in pain. Maybe like he talked about in the beginning of the scene, he sees a kindred spirit. They're the only two that really have this dynamic that despite all the love quadrangle stuff going on, like they are wholly committed to one person for the rest of their lives. And that comes with all the, the positives and negatives attached that for some reason, Bernard decides to say in that moment, like he becomes incredibly vulnerable about this, about, yeah, this, this happened, you know, this Island is weird, but we're, we're staying because I love Rose that much. I built a whole freaking SOS signal back in season two, and we decided not to go along with it because that's how much I want to follow Rose no matter where we may go. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, I guess, like, there is an argument then that Bernard's the reason why Jin dies. Because he's the one who convinces him to go with her, and because they get on the freighter, then it blows up. Well, not only that, but, like, never leave her under any circumstances ever. And Jin's like, oh, hmm. right. But I mean, maybe you should have said, ex- unless you have a three-year-old a submarine, <laughs> yeah. If you're in a submarine, and your daughter's evil, a- resurrected Saeed yeah. took the yeah. bomb and in a courageous yeah. move to yeah. blow it up. Frank Lapidus might still be dead. We are not sure. Yeah. But I, yeah. I really like the. I just think it's a really sweet scene. It still is showing how even four seasons into Lost, we're still getting new pairings of characters. We had never had a Bernard Jin. I know that Jin helped Bernard a bit with the SOS project, but these two haven't interacted at all. I love the talk about karma as well. Yeah, maybe a bit sappy with Bernard being like, ah, oh, I guess we're the good guys because you caught a fish, Jin. But I mean, Jin is someone who has thought a lot about karma about the idea of, okay, do the deeds that we did before inform what we receive now, or is it truly a tabula rasa where we can wipe the slate clean and move on here? And I think Bernard is essentially telling Jin, we can wipe the slate clean right now. Good things are happening to you on this island. You caught a fish. You're going to be a dad. You're in a very happy relationship. So you did bad things in the past, you know that you've come to peace with that. That doesn't mean you can't be a good person moving forward. Yeah. Bernard says uh, it's about karma. Um, and and Bernard's also he then like looks around a little bit. And then he leans. He's like, Is, I'm, I'm telling you what the show's about. Like, yeah. uh, just, like, I caught a sneak peek at the just, season. Just, the series just finale. In, case, in case you want to want to look ahead. Like this is the point of the show. Yeah. And Jim goes, I thought it's about Dharma. I'm very this confused. Is, this is, this is what the show is trying to say. Uh, so yeah, it's a great scene. Great scene from, from Bernard. Yeah. I, uh, I, I still, I, I said it last week, but I think rewatching it still cements it for me. I think this is one of the most underrated scenes of lost. It is small, but like you said, it speaks volumes about characters, relationships, about morality and about decisions, which I think are three giant pillars of lost. Yeah. Let's go to the freighter, huh? Uh, <laughs> sorry, right, just clanging in your ears like some pipes. Yeah, so there's some pipe banging. Uh, so the captain would like a word with Saeed and Desmond. And when they uh, see daylight for the first time in who knows how long, uh, they get up to the top of the freighter. Frank is gone and soon someone else shall be. I guess let's listen in on how this plays out. Where's the helicopter? Peter's is running an errand. What kind of a doctor? I don't know where he's going. He goes to 
island? You know anywhere else you can land? It's over. She's gone. Everybody get back to your posts. That was an order. I'm Captain Gold. Suppose you two have a few questions. Okay. Yeah, first you? question is, oh, you're the captain? Yeah, random Australian guy? You're the one that people it's say you? don't trust? Okay. You're the one? You seem fairly legit. You, you, seem, like you, you seem like you could host a couple of major Australian right. reality shows. You seem all right. You seem totally, totally fine. I, I captain like Galt. I like the idea that Desmond is the one to see Regina jumping off wrapped in chains because it's sort of like, uh, you know, he's he's been through the time sickness before. So for him to notice what's going on with Regina, I think, is a fun idea. Apparently, I didn't notice this, but some eagle eyed losties say that when Regina jumps off the boat and, you know, Saeed and Desmond are screaming their heads off for help, it just cuts to the crew doing Jack S and one of the people is just Jack Shepard, huh? Exactly. He's standing there. He would definitely not be doing that. He would pull a Joanna and swim in after her. But uh, everyone's just standing there. One of the individuals in question is someone, uh, a rather seedy looking individual with their hood up. And that is Harold Perrineau. He was in the episode before he makes an appearance as Kevin Johnson proper. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah, so That's it's neat. like he's he's hanging out on the boat. He's skulking in the background. It's just we don't see him explicitly what until later skulker. on. What a skulker! He's 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 become a gawker. Michael has become the he thing really he has. Hates. Oh yeah. no! Oh no! That's really uh, you know you you die a hero. You live long enough to see yourself become the gawker. Uh huh. Um. So that's Zoe Bell as Regina. Um. Zoe Bell is a famous stunt worker, stunt performer. Um, Zoe Bell was in, I believe, uh, what, which grindhouse is it? Uh, the, it's like the, is it called like death, death proof, death proof is the one that Zoe Bell is in. So that's like right around the same time. Yeah. And I think she, said, uh, she also doubled for Lucy Lawless on Xena. I think she was also, uh, Beatrix Kiddo's double she's, in the Kill Bill franchise. She's a very prolific, really incredible stunt performer. And so like they clearly hired her for, stunt work and i think that uh i don't know i think maybe they thought this was going to be more than like that this would read like i bet this feels like one of those things that was like really intense on like the day and really intense in production and during the shoot that just does not quite translate because i think a piece of it is there's like no follow-through uh by Mm. like orders of captain galt who is like, no one go after her. Everybody just stop. Don't even bother. And I think like through a little bit of that, there's just like some, some degree to which Mike, that I feel like this is just sort of like, I don't know, kind of fizzles to me. 
It's very reminiscent to me, again, I'm going back to horror, of something out of, like, The Wicker Man, right? It's it's almost culty, very Midsummer-esque of, here's this freaky thing that's happening, and nobody's reacting to it. It's just a normal day on the freighter, and that is spooky in and of itself, even though, like you said, it's basically going to be a follow-up by saying, like, oh, people do this all the time. I should also know, Josh, maybe another reason why Zoe Bell should catch your eye she was Kate Blanchett's stunt double in Thor Ragnarok as Hela. Oh. Uh, I thought she'd be happy to see me. Uh, yeah. Oh, if, if only she'd pulled out those uh, giant chains or in, behind her headdress yeah, instead of swords. Cool. That'd be neat. That'd be cool. All right. So she's gone. She's gone. Uh, and Saeed <laughs> and Desmond are like, what the hell? He didn't like do anything. And Galt's like, yeah, I can't lose any more people. Yeah, sorry, I was uh, thinking about She's Gone, and I thought back to Oats in terms of Holland Oats. Yes, it's an Oats-themed yes. episode of, of Down the Hatch. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and so, Gus says, yeah, there's a lot of people who've got cabin fever, which, by the way, uh, I caught a look at one of the episodes coming up. Yeah, uh, they've got cabin fever. It's driving them insane. Muppet Treasure Island and everything, everyone's donning fruit headdresses and singing with the big spotlights and it's Muppets coming. going on. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all happening. Bumping. Yeah, it's all coming together. Uh, and so uh, they're like, all right, well, that's pretty messed up, but we still would like to have a word. He's like, oh, uh, well, I'd like to have a word with you, too. First, I got to kind of deal with the fact that we've got a mole. We've got a saboteur on the, a mole. On the boat. Yeah. Uh, there's a mole here on on the boat, uh, so we are officially on mole patrol. Um, the engines are screwed up. We can't move. We can't get to safe waters. We have to be uh, stuck around here. Uh, and Captain Galt reveals that he's working for uh, Chucky Wids, uh, and Desmond's like, "Whoa!" Not a reveal to us, but certainly a reveal to Desmond. Like, "Oh crap." Oh, but now it sort of makes sense as to why. Oh, now Minkowski knew who I was. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is why Penny called the boat is because it's her dad's boat. It's not Penny's boat. It's Charles's boat. Yeah. 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 Uh, So they go into the engine room with Captain Galt, who wants to, like, show them what he's been dealing with and who he is dealing with. He this is a great example of show and tell let's listen in on captain gall do either of you know what this is it's a flight data recorder otherwise known as a black box That's exactly what it is. Now, here's the funny thing. This black box comes from Oceanic Flight 815. A salvage vessel recovered it from the bottom of the ocean. It took a considerable amount of Mr. Widmore's resources to procure it. It was found with the wreckage of the plane, along with all 324 dead passengers. That's not the complete story, as you were well aware, Mr. Gerard, given the fact that you're standing here, breathing. The wreckage was obviously staged. Now, can you imagine what kind of resources and manpower go into pulling off a feat of that magnitude? Faking the recovery of a plane crash. Putting 324 families through a grieving process based on a lie. What's even more disturbing, where 
exactly does one come across 324 dead bodies? And that, Mr. Girard, Mr. Hugh, is just one of the many reasons we want Benjamin Linus. So it's a it's very expo dumpy, and especially expo dumpy of stuff that we already knew from watching, from, from watching confirmed dead. Expo dumpy is like uh, Rusey doozy. No <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like the, the Brazilian takeoff yeah. on expose. It's the adaptation a la the slap. But I do think that if anything, this scene, in my opinion, the better scene from the other woman last week, just really underlined this idea to the viewers of, okay, Charles Winmore's the big bad for yeah. the time being. He's the one they're supposed to be looking out for now that Ben has sort of been, uh, you know, a, a bit declawed at this point. Charles Winmore has the capacity to not only send a freighter of people to find the island and kill Ben Linus, but to also have the means to buy a plane and buy 342 dead bodies. It doesn't you don't really put the mental math together until Captain Gall flat out lays it out of. Yeah, that's one sick son of a bitch to actually go through with that. Yeah, Um but when he says that that's why we're looking for Benjamin Linus, his thinking is that Ben Linus is the one responsible for this. This is like the company line. Or maybe it's just this idea of, yeah, I don't, I'm not, in, I don't feel the logic in that as well. Of, yeah, okay. Right? So it's, like, it's, one it's, is like something doesn't fully add up. Like it's like, look, look at what Charles Winmore can do. And that's why we need to find Benjamin Linus. So like, I guess like there's like, it's either like, uh, Benjamin Linus, like he thinks like he's responsible for this or it's like, we need to find him because we've been hired to do it. And you don't say no to this guy. Right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming it's the latter of this yeah. man is incredibly powerful dangerous and borderline lethal this is why it is our goal to get benjamin linus and this is why like i'm tearing my hair out over being stuck in in you know standstill right now yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um okay you know uh you know sure yeah charles winmore's dangerous we just we we get that uh that really again overtly mentioned in this episode like we did with the last one okay we get it we're gonna pay attention to charles winmore moving mm-hmm. forward he's yeah, not he's just he's not just a guy pissing at an art auction yeah i've got nothing further to add about this scene other than what i've already said about the freighter stuff in this episode so uh i suppose we can uh we can move on we can go back to the beach and this is the scene that i was talking about before that elizabeth mitchell broke me <laughs> watching this the other day uh uh I, I just like I couldn't help but uh, get like really really sad watching it. Um, so yeah, so she's gonna come up to Sun, who's alone right now, uh, and uh, they're gonna have a little bit of a moment. Let's listen in. I'm sorry. I had to stop you. Anyway, I could. It wasn't your place to stop us. I know you don't trust me. But you need to get off this island. We all do. You want to leave? More than anything. I don't know if that boat out there is the answer or not, but it's something. I need to go home. So do you. Son. In about three weeks, you'll be in an almost constant state of nausea. A week after that, you will experience shortness of breath that won't go away. A week after that, you will lose consciousness and slip into a coma. And then, son, you will die. And when your heart stops beating, so will the babies. 
son is why it is my business, because you are my patient. If you go, you will die. So which line broke you? Uh, I think it's like the 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 when she explains why she's so invested. That moment of like you're my patient, and like when yeah. you when when you contrast that against all that Juliet's been through uh, over these last several years of her life, like she's like one of the things that was effective about the other woman, even though I think it's a very sloppy episode, is it really does like this this poor person's life has been awful. Yeah, at least, uh, like, at least in the in the very recent past two years, absolutely. Yeah, but like even then, like you think like you know like the stakes that were involved with her sister and how upsetting that whole thing must <laughs> have been. How much of a, a dickwad her ex husband yes, was? Exactly. Yeah. So who she was married to? Uh, like it, it's not great. You know, she she had like a tough childhood from what we see in the incident that she you know uh, her her parents split up. That's traumatic. That's not a nothing thing. Like she's had a a, a tough life. You know. She's had a she's had a very turbulent life, and the most recent events have been really, really, really difficult. Um, and, and so it made me like think about like um, at, at the very least, she is going to get Sun out of here, so she is going to get Sun to leave and to safety, and Gion will be born. And so in that way, like Juliet, you did it. Um, and so like it's like a rare win that's that's coming her way, even though she won't be around to to enjoy it um and also not really realize that that's what happened because uh she watches the freighter blow up from a distance i can't imagine she's not thinking like well sun probably blew up <laughs> so, well i don't know because well then she's gonna run into kate and and jack and hurley right and they're gonna of course, be like, oh, yeah, but that's three years later you know yeah, but, so. but she eventually has that closure yeah i sure. think what really brings this home for me is is like you said John, uh, Juliet saying, son, th- that is why it's my business, because you are my You're patient. My patient. So I think the, the thing beautiful. that maybe not broke me, but definitely like made me lose the air in my lungs was her saying, you know, and when your heart stops beating, so will the babies. It, it's one of those things that, especially as a father, this idea of your, your baby's heart stopping beating, it just like it's a finality that crushes you. And so I think that imagery now, look. Maybe Juliet should have pulled out the whole uh, the whole presentation earlier on, and maybe that would have convinced Sun to stay along, so she didn't have to reveal the affair. That is true, but I think to your point, Juliet says in this moment, "I did this because I care about you, and the only way you can get off this, the only way I, you know, you can survive this, in my opinion, is if you get off this island." It shows maybe not tough love, but at least like uh, a, a tactic to use that is for her own good it's a taste of bad medicine almost and juliet's here with that spoonful of sugar and for what it's worth makes it it, go down yeah and for what it's worth it makes sun get back on board i think it's it's sort of the dual approach of her realizing the very viscerally that juliet is not lying if she does she's a very specific liar that she has talked about the exact timeline of symptoms that sun will undergo but then also, I think she does realize that Juliet's not gaslighting her, that this woman does truly care about her and her baby. And so despite it being a huge risk, she's going to do what she feels is the right thing and trust her doctor's opinion. Yep, 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 yep. Um, well, the good news, Mike, is that in the future, 
Gian will arrive uh, yes. via C-section. No, actually, it, right? I, they're, no, because they're going to prep for emergency. Because the right. C-section is a surgery. Mm. Uh, I know firsthand that it's like yes, a whole. It's a whole to do. But as they're talking about it, it is a god, a heart wrenching moment. In retrospect, that son like is seeing Jin and everybody. It is it is painful to watch because she is falling in the darkness right now from a mental perspective and she is reaching out thinking that like her lifeline is right in front of her and it is nowhere it's on an island right now 40 years ago and it is so so sad but what happens is uh, through an actually pretty damn quick labor process instead despite all this distress and the possibility of an emergency c-section it turns out that g eon comes out via natural birth and everything is hunky-dory yeah ah Gion. welcome to the world kid yeah uh, and, and, and uh, maybe you get him a sap for the the baby stuff but i think yunjin kim also plays this really well her happiness her almost like sigh of relief that this is over as well there's like there's some some adrenaline forming mm-hmm. and there is a quam theme that plays during this it's going to play during the final scene as well that is from ooh and found which i find really pertinent because that's really an episode that focuses on sun and jin's separation right yeah. that's where sun loses her wedding ring that is when jin you know says tell michael like we will commit to finding your son i'm going to commit to finding my way back to my son from a certain manner of speaking i think it's a really great symbol of these two despite being on opposite ends of the island committing to finding one another while in the flashback they're going to meet for the first time and i think that's a a really crushing callback that now we're going to find out that once again these people will be separated but in a much larger regard from both location and time all right let's go back to the freighter uh uh, let's meet kevin johnson let's do it so what'd you think of the captain he was surprisingly forthcoming yeah he tells it like it is just don't piss him off you know what i mean I think you'll like your room. It's on the quiet part of the ship. This ship isn't moving. Well, if you say so. That shouldn't still be there. Damn it. Hey, Johnson, is that you? Johnson? Yeah. Mop this up. Sorry, I gotta go up on deck. No, you're gonna mop this up. good i was i was thinking of like do i do an entire 
parody version of it but a i ran out of time and b as you said we have some springsteen coming up in a few episodes so i don't want to karaoke us out here on down the hatch it's michael it was always michael obviously it was michael all along um i think we can save a lot of these takes for uh next week when we get to meet kevin johnson but um i i feel like i don't know like it feels like they were building this up for so long and then they kind of just like plop it in here just like feels like i don't know the timing just feels really odd to me yeah i mean i wonder if we had more moments like if we highlighted more of the moments where michael was standing on the deck when regina jumped in right if we have this idea that like there's this mysterious figure that yes has been around but like we actually see a physical version of them throughout the episode maybe that hits more instead of here where more so seems like oh yeah michael's here too i wonder if there was more this idea of oh there's actually someone physically on the ship who's following them around and then they get unmasked to be revealed that it was michael it might hit a bit more i will say again if it's setting up the dark dank mood of the freighter i do think the introduction to their quarters is certainly representative of that cockroaches crawling over the place that suicide stain on the wall and also michael is cleaning up bloodstains basically for the rest of his life right because remember he was the one who had to clean up anna lucia and libby's bloodstains after he was the one who shot them after two for the road and now he's cleaning up some uh, some nice stain off the wall as well from some random freighter yeah, uh, we'll get into it more. I, I really don't think like I, I'm, I'm trying not to beat a dead panda bear here. Uh, you know how I feel at this point. Um, so we'll dig into it more next week when we get to meet Kevin Johnson, because I think that's where it's going to be more relevant. I just think that it's a little odd that like they were building it up for this, you know, this whole way through. And then they kind of just drop it in here and it just sort of feels like for what? Well, I, I would love to hear from people who watch the series, maybe in a binge or what have you, and didn't know. Because again, we were all a bit spoiled. We had heard that Harold Perrineau was coming back at Comic-Con. His name was in the credits. But I wonder for those that have been binging the show, weren't paying attention, was this just so entirely random for you to have Michael pop up? And from that perspective, did this surprise work? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sound off. Let us know. Uh, unfortunately, it's too late for me, Kevin Johnson, but we'll, we'll, we'll have, talk about it in a couple of weeks. We post, you know, Michael's big reveal. Yes, we'll have opportunities to address it for sure. Um, all right. So back at the beach, we get the answer to like why Jin walked away. It's like I needed to clear my head. I needed to go get some fish. I wanted to bring you dinner. I wanted to talk through uh, and let you know, like, I know why it happened. I know who I was. I know uh that that is the person that this happened uh towards i know it was that person that pushed you into that i'm really sorry um i will go with you wherever you want i'll go i'll do whatever you want um i've changed we've changed i'll do all it takes to protect you and the baby he says and then there is this really beautiful really beautiful sequence of events where Jin asks in english if the baby's his is the baby mind yeah and, and son like joyously and tearfully starts crying and says that of course it is and Jin says i love you son and you will never lose me oh, oh god oh. it's just like you thought you could you could not break your heart anymore and then somehow it grinds it up into like microscopic dust oh my this god stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, because then the way that the next scene plays out 
is the re- the revelation that it's you know this is a hybrid flashback flash forward uh and they really draw it out mike <laughs> like yeah it's it's really excruciating like the creepy music they like have to like hammer it home a few times because it's a, a relatively complex idea i've been married only two months me yeah. jin su kwan yeah here is a panda not for my wife uh what was is the boy or a girl it's a boy oh well that's not Eon. so there's two and then oh you're gonna you're gonna have a baby soon aren't you he's like no not not yet i've only been married for two months so it's like oh okay we needed all three of those beats to really uh be pretty sure of uh, what's going on but it, jokes aside it's creepy it's like oh no ah man ah gosh oh it's tough uh and i think like they do draw it out to a degree that's like a little bit hard to watch both probably on the first watch for like the reasons that it's intended then on the second watch like it is a little bit just like uh, a little excruciating to get through for me where it's just like oh god i know what's happening this is terrible um but at the final scene of the episode um you know the final kind of like push of the episode in the flash forward really gets me um and i think like they they do do this really beautifully and really heartbreakingly it's very uh intelligent that they bring hurley into the mix in this way um he always makes a a sad scene uh feel more emotional um so let's let's just close ge on out let's go to that flash forward let's see hurley come and visit son and then uh, son and hurley go and visit jen You kidding? Is anyone else coming? No. Good. So, where is she? She's awesome. Thank you. Would you like to hold her? I don't know. I kind of have two left hands. I trust you. Wow. She looks just like Jin. Yes. She does. So, I guess we should, like, go see him.
going to refer to my earlier explicit analogy for what this scene makes Careful. me feel yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my yeah. god yeah. first of all i unfortunately this this came at a time in loss where the emmys sort of oddly acknowledged loss i believe michael emerson wins an emmy for this season but i don't know every time i watch this last scene i feel like yunjin kim should have at least been nominated because she is a powerhouse in this final monologue it is in incredible what she is able to do here just talking to a gravestone yeah she does an incredible job here and it does sell you on like oh shit no right they're not gonna kill Jin, are they that's the thing as well because they play life and death which you hear throughout here the last time we heard that was when charlie died and from my memory charlie's not coming back anytime soon so you have to assume there's permanence there that Jin really died and it's it's all just so it is beautifully tragic that son just sits there and just delivers this beautiful monologue to Jin of you know you push so hard you promised you would never leave me and be by my side while my our daughter was born and here she is I wish you could have been there I've like have tears in my eyes as she's as I'm even recalling that line because that is a moment that has always broken me uh just that just that idea especially again as someone who uh, went through, I would say, a rather traumatic birthing experience, yeah. but still, like, as a parent, what you experience is absolutely special. And I cannot, for the life of me, even imagine not being in my son's life yeah. and to, like, put myself in Jin's position or put myself more so in son's position of not having that partner there. She's probably... I mean, she was probably ruminating on that conversation that we just witnessed, right? Where he says, you will never lose me. I'll do what it takes to protect you and the baby. That must be playing in her head each and every day now that she's actually looking at this baby, this baby that they have worked so hard for for a long time when Jin was sterile before coming to the island. This miracle finally happened and this baby is in the world. But the one person she wanted to share it with isn't there. Yeah. And it is heart wrenching. It's awful. And I think the other thing, so like, you know, is it a trick to play that music here? Cause it's so triggering. Um, no, because like, you know, ultimately for, for son, for so much of her life, Jin is dead, you know, yeah. for, for son, you know, she watched this guy blow up, you know, in a very horrible way. It is miraculous that he lived as long as he did afterwards. Um, that I think, 
it it's it's fair because their their life together is 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 pretty close to the end uh and it it is a death of sorts and i think it's also like getting us in a place of like mourning the loss of like Jin and son's time together on the show almost uh it's like a prelude to that uh so i think like spending some time like mourning a dynamic i think is you know you can uh there are there are you know metaphorical deaths in life as well, uh, and those matter sometimes just as much, if not more, than some literal ones. Uh, I think that it's it's to to like honor the passing of something in this moment here, even if Jin does not literally die when Sun thinks that he dies. There is there is a death of sorts that that occurs, and I think this uh, playing to that is fair, and it's also obviously there is. The uh, the other half of this coin, uh, you know, one side is light, one side is dark, one side is death, one side is life. You know, yeah. this is life and death. We experienced this all the way back in season one where Aaron yes. dies apparently minutes or Aaron lives. But he's yeah. born literally minutes after Boone dies. To me, I, I don't even care that Jin's not dead. The music should play because Sun believes he's dead. Right. This is not like if they're holding if Charles Winmore is holding a fake funeral for Hurley Reyes and they play life and death, then yeah, then that's too cheeky. But it's just like playing life and death when Kate and Jack find Charlie hanging from the tree in all right. the best daddies like he is really dead in that moment. The characters consider that other character dead. From my perspective, that counts. This does not feel like a rug pull. This does not feel like a trick. This character believes that this other character is dead. You can feel the emotional weight there. That's all that matters to me. And and it, it really is felt over the course of this. And I remember, again, as a huge Quan Stan, uh, I flipped a lid. I flipped several lids. All the jars were lidless in my vicinity. Josh, when I found out that at least there was a possibility that Jin Quan was going to die in, in weeks to come on Lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot going on here. All right. Well, that's the episode. Let's get into the business of ranking it. Mike, this one's been hard for me. It's been a little turbulent, uh, like reliving Gion, um, going back and being like really bowled over by some of the stuff that I expected to really love, but just like being like really hit over it. Like basically everything Jin and Son. Yep. Everything yep. Jin and Son uh, is a huge win to me uh some of the very best Jin and sun content as far as i'm concerned um except for maybe like that scene where juliet shows up and says she's had an affair like it does read a little soapy but i could forgive it i think it, it leads to great moments um the freighter stuff is a real whiff for me uh mm. and like only became like whiffier <laughs> in like the talking of it actually uh i i found like kind of like uh, like the freighter is exhausting to me. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. It's just like very depleting. Like I just, I, it makes it, it bums me out. I can't, I can't quite shake it. I can't quite fully get to it. I'll try and like really distill this down in time for meet Kevin Johnson. That'll be an appropriate place to really get into that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just like feel like it's clunky. It feels like it's not totally thought through uh, some of the casting issues for me. Um, it holds it back a little bit. So I have like, most of my, uh, so I don't think I have a single Quan episode that falls below a three. The Glass Ballerina is my lowest ranked Quan episode. I have that at a three. I think mm-hmm. that I've got a 3.2 for the whole truth. Yep. Um, and then I've got this cluster at the top that's a 3.6 for House of the Rising Sun, 
uh, ooh in translation. And I said last season how much I loved DOC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I, I still totally feel that. Um, I think that I have Gion ultimately just below that. Okay. And I, I know that might be unpopular. Uh, I know that for many people, this is the Jin and Sun episode. I think that the freighter stuff is really not great for me. Uh, if it were just based purely on the Jin and Sun stuff, it would be 3.6 easy. Uh, but the freighter stuff is just a real miss for me. Uh, and it is a lot of the episode, unfortunately. So I'm giving it a 3.5, which is still a very good score, I think. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's gotta be uh, a notch below where I would really like it to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you give the economist a three point five. So I feel like that, yeah. that's sort of on the same level. No surprise. I am going higher. And I agree. I, I compared it to other Quan episodes. This is probably my favorite besides House of the Rising Sun. House of the Rising Sun is always going to be my favorite Quan episode. I feel like that is just a really solid episode of Lost and only with the sun stuff. But also this that's the discovery of the caves. That's the introduction of Charlie and Locke with the guitar and the the drug storyline. There's just a lot of great content all around. But I would say if you distill the Jin and Sun stuff, to your point, this actually episode actually might have the strongest content in it because it is knocked out of the park at each and every angle. I have vocalized my support of the flashback flash forward dual structure. I do not feel like it's a cheap gimmick. If you call that a cheap gimmick, I think you're going to have to call a lot of other things in the show cheap gimmicks. If we're being completely you know, honest, that's just sort of what Lost is sometimes with its surprises. So you take the good with the bad. And I really enjoy the, the sort of diaspora, the dichotomy of, of the two things there. And the performances are just top notch. It feels like a grounded relationship. One that, to be quite honest, we really haven't seen on Lost in a while. Maybe not even since, even, you know, going past the Quan, since Rose and Bernard in SOS. Ironically enough, the last time we saw that other married couple really have a big storyline. It was it was great to check in with these two. I think the ending is still a wallop. Even when you know that Jin is dead, you feel it in Sun's heart how much her soul has been completely rendered and put through the grinder by the apparent loss of Jin. And so feeling that I think completely overwhelms knowing in hindsight that, you know, he is actually not dead. I agree with what you said about the freighter stuff. I don't think it's strong, but I do think, as I mentioned before, it at least succeeds for me on what it's intending to do, which is again, to create a very eerie atmosphere, much like the boat itself. It is stalled at the moment. We do meet the captain and we get the revelation that Michael is Kevin Johnson, but it doesn't feel very full it feels hollow it ironically enough does stay in one place but it feels hollow in that it it doesn't exactly feel that revelatory maybe because we we knew it up to that point uh so it was a little bit of a nothing burger in that perspective but i do think the 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 eeriness and the horror aspects that came with the freighter in this episode don't exactly bring it completely down for me though i do think this is not a perfect episode of lost i think for me the highs really outbalanced the lows. So I ultimately went with a 3.7 overall. So not too far from your score, but I still think it's a very solid episode of Lost. And I think definitely a big bounce back from the other woman. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely better than the other woman. It's not really close. Um, all right, let's get into some feedback we've got from this one. Oh, wait, so wait, we should mention that, uh, yeah, so 3.4 overall for G oh, on sorry, so yes. far as an average. 3.54, which I mentioned the Economist actually edges it out slightly above the Economist above they're par, neck and neck, if you will. Yeah, they're really tight. It's 3.54 for Gian, 3.53 for The Economist. I was changing my score throughout this. It was neck and neck. I do think ultimately Gian is probably the episode that deserves to be spoken about more. So I'm happy with it being higher, but I'm also totally fine if this shifts. If this ends mm. up shifting, I'm not going to like throw a big stink about it. Yeah, I mean, I think these two episodes are sort of in that same pantheon of like some really interesting stuff going on, whereas maybe on the island... Uh, not or maybe in a freighter perspective, not so much. But still, I think now we are we've settled back into some solid aspects of season four from our brief dip into things with Eggtown and the other woman. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some of this feedback. The question of was the flashback twist good or bad? We've got dueling opinions. One, it's from Brendan Fitzpatrick. The great Fitz says yes. The dueling flashes of backwards and forwards parallels. It's something you really can only do the one time, but it works so well here. And I'm glad that they never tried it again. Um, as you mentioned from Jim Fells, Jim wrote in and said, I'm really not a fan of this trick that they pull here. Lost is known for its huge twists, but it never deliberately fooled the audience just for the sake of a big surprise. I uh, disagree Jim's- with that. Jin's flashbacks in this episode serve no purpose beside misleading the viewer. Also, it's made retroactively worse by the fact that even Jin's death itself will turn out to be a fake out. Um, I think that to the point of uh, Jin's flashbacks in this episode serve no purpose besides misleading the viewer, I would say that I mostly agree the thing that forgives it for me is the comedy is really great. Yeah. Uh, and Daniel Day Kim is really, really great. And so there's just like, you know, my argument on, on like the value of lost is uh, like really exploring and loving the hangout show vibe uh, to it. And like, it's about the people, it's about the music, it's about all of that stuff. So it matters less to me, like the plot for the most part, so if this stuff is like kind of divine, I'm not going to be the one who's like going to thumbs down it. And Jin yelling at a guy that the taxi thief who has taken his panda that he's going to murder him for stealing his panda in his cab definitely, definitely cracks me up. So I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, give me jingle all the way over the majority of Kate flashbacks. If we're being yeah. completely honest, at least this one I had a lot of fun with. Whereas the Kate flashbacks, unfortunately, get that double jeopardy of like not being very fun to watch while also just not being great. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Stefan Johnson says, even if the freighter folk aren't there to rescue them, why would Sun think going with Locke is the better idea? Well, I mean, I, I don't think she's going to pull all Rose and Bernard and just go off on her own. Right. I think I think she at least says, well, I'll go with this other cam. Maybe I'll die some other way, but I'm not guaranteed to die, which is assuming what happens if she goes with the freighter folk at this point. Yes. Uh, I, I yeah, I think like maybe it's like, I don't know. They've got walls. They've got a house. I probably yeah. have a better shot at a house. And then Claire, the Claire's with them. She could help take care of the baby, too. If the Her, freighter if the freighter comes, it's not like you're all going to leave me here. Right. You know, yeah. so like you'll come and pick us up. And Hurley's over there, like, and again, maybe this comes back to the decision for Hurley to go with Lockup. If Hurley went there, Hurley's good people, so I trust Hurley. I trust Hurley's judgment here. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, this is from Riley, uh, who's got some praise for Gion. Uh, Riley uh, says, "I'm pretty sure I'm higher on Gion than most." 
I knew that Michael had to come back, but the appearance of Michael as Kevin Johnson actually surprised me and excited me. I really loved the scenes on the ship. They felt very ominous and lost as a horror movie. The scenes felt so claustrophobic and disturbing. The girl committing suicide by leaping off the boat. It shocked and horrified me and everyone's non-reactions showing how wrong this ship was. The way the ship was lit and how it was filmed and the reveal of the suicide bloodstains in the room that Syed and Desmond are staying in again was horrifying. But when it comes to the meat of the episode, I really, really really loved the Jin and Sun stuff so much. I fully bought Jin was dead, and in the middle of the night, laptop on my chest, I began bawling. The episode just brutally gut-punched me, and I lost it. The episode handled the emotion so beautifully. That's yeah, Ryan's I think, review. I think that as we've been talking about the past couple of weeks with asking this question, I do think this is one of those episodes where despite the, the misgivings you might have towards certain things, I think this is an episode where the ending elevates it. I just think it is that good once upon a time josh a certain wheel spin got it into one of the top lost endings of all time in our print steel and so i think that that just speaks first and foremost about how when you think of of ge on you think about not only I, the flashback flash forward structure but i think you think about this final scene and the revelation that Jin, at least from sun's perspective is dead because it is so incredibly well handled for the reality of the story at the time yeah, and just to be clear and to be fair, I do think that the ending elevated the episode for me in in my assessment of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's get into MVP, LVP stuff. You've got three MVPs. I've got two. You've got two LVPs. I've got three. I feel like this MVP section is probably going to be pretty straightforward. I wonder who's going to get them. We're doubling up on Jin and Son. Yeah, yeah. So two sons, two Jins. Um, should we uh, should we have reserved one for Gion for being born? No, I mean Gion's going to show up in other capacities, and like you know, the end of season four, season five. So maybe Gion will have some more time to shine. But no, I mean this was really, as I said, maybe the strongest Quan episode yet in terms of the Quan related storylines. And so I yeah. think both Sun and Jin have really good, strong moments over the course of this episode from both the performance perspective and a character perspective as well. So I think they should get their due. And I have one more MVP point and I'm throwing it Bernard's way for being a yeah, good bro. Yeah, and he, yeah, he just gives, yeah. he has such a great scene with Jin and he's able to convince him to stay with her. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so LVP time, uh, Captain Galt, come on down. Uh, like he didn't do anything to save Regina. Like the, this whole ship is falling apart. You're losing control of your people. Nobody likes you. you Everybody smell says, like farty lima beans. Yeah, everyone's saying we can't trust you. Uh, Captain Galt just does not do it for me. I just gotta, just gotta say, and here he is, LVP. This almost went to Michael. Uh, mm. for, and the reason why it almost went to Michael was uh, when Dr. Ray is like, Michael, get over here. Hey, Kevin, get over here. Kevin, you you were definitely listening in and you didn't have to be so loud with the squeaky squeaky. Like, you could have gotten here. away. You could have gotten away. You could have left. You didn't have to yeah, be get, here. The, get that oil can. You're able to slip in and out of every other part of the ship undetected. And maybe try to lube up your cart a little bit, and I think you'll be able to slip away undetected. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, so it almost went to Michael, but I've been, I, I I decided against it. I already gave him one for the constant. Uh, we can <laughs> we can leave it there for right now. Uh, and I gave a, an LVP point to another freighter, uh, Regina. Uh, just the the you know the requisite. She died, dude. She did. She did. Yes. yes. Uh, no stunt there. I'm going to give one, as I mentioned before, going to Juliet, because again, 
She was able to succeed in, in getting her patients off the island, but at what cost? Uh, and unfortunately, it was involved in my least favorite part of the Quan storylines, besides Sun temporarily losing her memory of the English language, which is the whole Jay Lee affair. So damn you, Juliet, for bringing it back up. And I'm going to give my final LVP point. And Josh, you're going to give your final one as well. Spoiler alert to that damn taxi thief. What an asshole, this guy. What a genuine scumbag. Just a bad guy. Bad guy. He's stealing the cab. How did you not know there was a panda in it next to you? You knew. You kept going. You jerk. The panda was not taking it on his own. You're not not ride sharing with the panda. No. You're not. Don't steal taxis, people, please. Don't stop. For all they know, these could be the Jin Kwans of the world that are desperate to close a deal. Unreal. Unreal. Anyway. Um, all right, that's Ji Yeon. Uh, an episode that has, like, some of, like, absolute, absolutely, like, lovely moments, some absolutely heartbreaking moments. Yeah. Uh, like, I would, I would, I, what I would love the most, Mike, is when I, when I look back on Ji Yeon to once again, feel mostly like i've forgotten this one yeah uh and i only remember the things that i that i love about it uh that is my wish for myself where it comes to this episode because i think that the things that this episode succeeds in are massively successful yeah i completely agree i think when it's it's sort of like that that one you know those types of baseball players that doesn't exactly have the best batting average but when they get a hit they get a big hit it's just sometimes they strike out in certain regards, but they're still this pretty- great. This is great. Keep talking about baseball. Yeah. On so this uh, podcast the- with- <laughs> exactly. As Josh like slowly falls asleep into his own meal as we're talking about baseball. Yeah, but next yeah. week, Josh, you're going to be perked up because we finally get to meet Kevin Johnson. I know. So I really got to give this a think. I really have to like, I, I need to bring you, my, you need a game. thesis right now, Josh. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think like there's, there's like a lot of like the season four wonkiness issues just like come to a head here for me with meet Kevin Johnson. Um, like timeline stuff doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, how is Tom there? How is Tom there? How did he got there so fast? Uh, there's just like, there's some stuff here and like, this is like kind of like the, uh, like sort of like the fetch questy type stuff that goes on with Michael with like, uh, trigger this bomb but it's just a gag like you know like show your loyalty to the cause type stuff that feels I don't know it almost feels to me like the show would have been better off never returning to the Michael storyline ever again I think maybe is I don't know if that's a hot take I mean yeah we'll we'll also we're also taking a look at not only the entire Michael arc in season four but definitely its introduction and its most elemental role we still have exactly the end of Kevin Johnson coming later, but this is really, this is really when yeah. we're going to get into the whispers, right? When, when that sort of origin is revealed, we're going to, this is our first time really going like off Island in the moment as well, besides the stuff that we've experienced with Penny. So that's going to be very interesting. I mean, it's been a long time since we have seen Michael Dawson. What brought him back here? Your mileage may vary as to whether or not it's good, but as I spoke about in the very beginning of this podcast, from a structural perspective of the season, I still do firmly feel that we are now done with a distinct era of season four with with this gravestone of, okay, the camps have been divided. There have been some people moving back and forth, but you know what? People are sort of sizing up, either leaving the island or not leaving the island. They have no idea what's coming in the form of Kimi. We just have to get through a bit of like a Michael Dawson re-origin story 
before we get into some very exciting stuff. And I guess we'll get into it a bit with the end of Meet Kevin Johnson, which I'll be honest, I've never been a fan of the whole uh, killing off Carl and Danielle just in a blip at the very end of the episode. I have to relitigate it. I know you're a bigger fan of it than I am, and I, I'll, I'll certainly be interested in reinvestigating it, especially as a big ending to take us into just the like nitrous oxide that is the final stretch of season four. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I definitely don't mind it because of where it takes us with, with with Alex and just sort of like how it escalates the brutality of the season. But it, I think it, I think it may be another situation for me, Mike, where like there's just like some like of like the of like the jigsaw puzzle piecing of season four during this portion of it. Really, right. this the other woman through meet Kevin Johnson run that just uh, like feels like a little bit of like that doesn't quite go there, but it's here. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that that's a piece of it. It's not like the act of what happens to Danielle and Carl that I take issue with, but maybe the timing, I don't know. I'll have to relitigate it as well. And I will also say that my issues as it pertains to the way that the show handles Michael Dawson, it's not a slight towards Michael Dawson or especially Harold Perrineau. I love Harold Perrineau. This comes from a place of love uh, and sheer care. And uh, if anything, fierce loyalty and uh, feeling of uh, overprotection, it's a performer that I quite like and a storyline that I thought was quite complex that I think if you're going to revisit, you don't want to short shrift and maybe the show short shrifts it. We will try not to in our analysis. It is possible that we shall. I cannot be held responsible for my actions, a.k.a. absolutely I can be held responsible for my actions. So I will try and do a good job next week. The good news is we see Ghost Libby. Next episode, let's talk about unfulfilled potential there. We're going to have a lot to talk about next oh, week. Oh, yeah, let's get Cynthia Watchers back on the show. Cool, what do you want to do with her? I don't know. Uh, haunt Michael for a bit? Nothing? Uh, anyway, so we'll get there. Cool, that's going to be great. Uh, I'll just say it for posterity, down the hatch at posterrecaps.com, but you cannot get any feedback in for it. We've already recorded it yeah, by the time so, you're so listening to this podcast. So I guess this, this is our call now. Go ahead and watch through to the shape of things to come. Yes. Get us your shape of things to come feedback. Uh, that's the cycle that we are on now. So get us the, your shape of things to come feedback. We definitely want that down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com at postshowrecaps at round Howard at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. Of course, we're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. If you want to sign up, certainly at the discord level, we've got the down the hatch channel open there. We mm-hmm. will have put out the call for meet Kevin Johnson feedback through that channel. So very possible, hopefully uh, likely even that we have uh, some great meet Kevin Johnson feedback as a result. So just another reason why it's uh, it's valuable. It's worthwhile. Sign up for the Patreon. You get to hang out with your fellow losties. You get to hang out with me and Mike. We talk about lost. Great great time mike you're talking uh the bloom files mm-hmm. with angela how's that yeah. going it's going well at this point i believe if i'm trying to time things out we are finishing up season two of the x files which i have Ooh. loved season one i enjoyed but season two so far what i've been seeing has been dynamite uh, yes. so that's been very fun checking that out with angela bloom and it's been recently announced josh that uh when it comes to passing down the shield 
as it were. Uh, I am going to be stepping in for you on the coverage of Falcon and the Winter Soldier over on Everything is Super, though at the time this is being recorded, a couple days are being released a couple days after that. I know that you and I are going to get together with the great Kevin Mahadeo and Latanya Starch. We're going to sort of do it like a transition show where we're going to preview Falcon and the, and the Winter Soldier and what is to come from six hours of what should be like pure high octane politicized buddy cop entertainment and i'm excited for every word that just came out of my mouth yeah i'm very bummed that i'm not going to be on the falcon and the winter soldier coverage uh i need to i need to take some time to myself as i'm striking the work-life balance which is very difficult for me i have to say very challenging (laughs) indeed but a lot going on in the day job and i want to make sure that i'm doing that right and i want to make sure that i'm doing the podcast right as well uh so one of that one of the ways in which i'm doing that is making the decision that i I need to take a break from that podcast for now so i'm going to miss falcon and the winter soldier but I won't miss it entirely. I will be on that preview show uh, with Mike, Kevin, and Latanya. I'll come in at the end as well. So I'll give you my my thoughts on what I'm hoping for with this new Marvel show, in addition to my thoughts on how I received it once you all do the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to listening. I'm really excited for everybody to get a, uh, get a chance to listen along with all of that. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Uh, and uh, yeah, good luck with the shield. It's a little top heavy. Ah, uh, it's all right. I'll, I'll the balance to, is a little weird. I'm gonna yeah. st- I'm gonna try to start like practicing on a bunch of trees and seeing what can happen. Though I might just ditch it for my wings for a little bit. I've gotten used to my own wings. Yes. Uh, so uh, lots of stuff. Many things. We'll be back next week with another episode of Down the Hatch. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.